Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then talk about it. This is page 460. He took it suspiciously. What's this about then? I walked over to where my lovely burgundy cloak hung on the wall and retrieved a needle from one of its many pockets. I'm showing you the sort of thing Codicus is capable of, your grace. I held out my hand for the apple. He gave it back and I looked it over. Holding it at an angle to the light, I saw what I'd hoped for, smudged onto the glossy skin of the apple. I muttered a binding, focused my alar, and pushed the needle into the center of the blurry imprint his forefinger had made on the apple's skin. Alvarin twitched and made an inarticulate noise of surprise, staring at his hand as if it had been unexpectedly, say, pricked with a pin. I'd half expected him to rebuke me, but he did nothing of the sort. His eyes went wide, his face pale. Then his expression grew thoughtful as he watched the bead of blood swell on the pad of his finger. He licked his lips and slowly put his finger into his mouth. I see, he said quietly. Such things can be guarded against? It wasn't really a question. I nodded, keeping my expression grave. Somewhat, your grace. I believe I can create a a charm to protect you. I only regret I didn't think of this sooner, but with one thing and another. Yes, yes, the mayor waved me into silence. And what will you require for such a charm? It was a layered question. On the surface, he was asking what materials I would need, but the mayor was a practical man. He was asking me my price as well. The workshop in Codicus Tower should have the equipment I need, your grace. What materials he doesn't have on hand I should be able to find in Severin, given time. Then I paused, considering the second portion of his question, thinking over the hundred things the mayor could grant me. Money enough to swim in. A newly crafted loot of the sort only kings could afford. I felt a shock run through me at the thought. An antrosaur loot. I'd never even seen one, but my father had. He'd played one once in Anilin, and sometimes when he'd had a cup of wine, he would talk about it, his hands making gentle shapes in the air. The mayor could arrange this sort of thing in the blink of an eye. All that, and more, of course. Alvaron could arrange access to a hundred private libraries. A formal patronage would be no small thing either, coming from him. The mayor's name would open doors as quickly as the king's. There are a few things, I said slowly, that I have been hoping to discuss with your grace. I have a project I need assistance with to pursue properly, and I have a friend, a talented musician, who could use a well-placed patron. I trailed off meaningfully. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I think there is some compelling evidence on this page that Codicus may not be a legitimate arcanist, and that's that he hasn't done any malfeasance all this time. Or at least that his mission wasn't actually to to harm the mayor, that it had a, a, a larger goal. Surely if he was a legitimate arcanist and his goal was to, you know, do juju to the mayor, he would have been gathering genetic material all this time and he's got a ton of mommets squirreled away. So the fact that hasn't happened is perhaps evidence that he's not really an arcanist. Or it might just be that he's, he's scarpered and he isn't bothering to to fucks with the mayor anymore. Or, if I may, if his mission, either given to him or his mission that he came up with on his own, was to make it look like the mayor was wasting away of an illness, making it look like it like it was not... If that was his mission, then maybe it does him no good to then just straight up murder the mayor in a way that would be very obvious. You know what I mean? If secrecy is no longer an option for him... Because now, if anything happens to the mayor that's surprising or untoward, Codicus will be blamed for it, whether or not he did it. 
So I kind of think that if his mission was to kill the mayor, it was also to make it look like an accident. And now that's not really possible. So that may be why he's not doing it. And I know this is confirmation bias, but if it is in fact Melvin Lackless who's behind everything, she's getting what she wanted anyway, which is the mayor's attention. So, But I mean, she would have gotten that if the mayor wasn't sick anyway. No, no, no. My, my, my theory is predicated on the argument that the mayor was avoiding marriage because he was hale and healthy and oh, it wasn't on his mind. Oh, okay, but okay, by okay. making him deathly ill, it forces him to search for a likely candidate for an heir. I see. But of course, if he's healthy now, if that, if that was the plan, well, he's healthy again now. So why would he still be looking to shack up with her? Well, it's on his mind. Anyway, I didn't say it was a perfect theory. (laughs) Hmm. I love this demonstration of sympathy. It gives me, that pleasurable feeling that you that I that you get when you see the character use their skills or their powers in a creative way. Uh, I get the same feeling oftentimes like in superhero comics when a character uses their power in kind of an inventive or original way, like Magneto pulling the blood out of the guy in the second X-Men movie, the because he has too much iron in it. Because it's not it's not like they're coming up with like a, a totally new ability. They're using the abilities they have in a way that is creative. And like the idea that you could harm someone through the medium of their like fingerprint smudged on an apple is really interesting to me. This calls to me as an interesting point of world building contention, because if like, it's clear that the university has worked hard to expunge the reputation of them being uh, malfeasance doers, from the world, but there is surely a market for this kind of magical assassination. And you'd think that the cream of society would be wise to it. And that this would be something that was like grams for the the rich would be widely adopted. Um, So I think this speaks to a concerted effort, either on the part of the university or perhaps on the part of uh, some other force, perhaps the Amir or the Chandrian to uh, limit the extent of, of sympathy and magic doing throughout the world, because the mayor is like apparently flabbergasted or, or at least like was not prepared for this. Um, But obviously like also you have court Arcanus, right? Like it's a common thing to at his level have a Codicus, which means that those people who are close to this level of power are aware that malfeasance is a thing. So you'd think that grams for the highest parts of society would be commonplace. This is starting to to smack of like an oversight the more that I pick at it, but it might just be I'm demanding too much. Let's not forget that Vint is a superstitious backwater. The mayor might be the only person in all of Vint who has a court magician. The mayor never calls him an arcanist. The mayor doesn't know what that is. As far as he's concerned, he's a wizard. And he does magic wizard bullshit. I don't think that anyone outside the university really understands sympathy. And we know that the farther away from the university you get, the less common arcanists are and the less common sympathy is and the less well it's understood. And Vint is like across, it's across a big body of salt water, right? Like it's, it's not the next province over. It's like several countries away. So 
the vintage are you know i'm sure they ha- like there are people who are like calling themselves wizards and who are pretending to do magic but it's it's bunk you know and i'm sure that the mayor probably has half a hundred supernatural charms you know in his thing that are all just like hokum all right i i buy that it's certainly possible at the very bottom of the page, when he's thinking about things to ask for, he he's trying to work himself up to asking the mayor for access to libraries. That's his personal project, the hunt for the emir. But as far as patronage, he's trying to get a patron for Denna. Yeah. Which is a, a slightly problematic thing to be seeking because she hasn't asked for that uh, and he is obviously trying to rescue her. He's trying to leverage what power he has to rescue her from what he perceives to be a, and, you know, perhaps not wrongly perceives to be an abusive situation. But I don't think it's proper to do this without consulting her first. I do think it's a perfect example of Quoth being Quoth, though. Totally. Yes, I think you're right that she didn't ask for his help and she doesn't want another patron as far as we know. But also, Quoth, he spends a whole paragraph telling us that the mayor is basically a genie and Quoth can ask for anything his heart desires and he can get it. And what does he ask for? Help for his friend, not for himself. The whole point of Quoth coming here was for Quoth to get a patron. That's his endgame. And when he's given a golden opportunity to ask the mayor to be his patron, he does not do that. He asks for help for somebody else instead. So I think that you're right that this is. He's doing a nice thing for the wrong reasons. I mean, I don't know that they are the wrong reasons entirely. I think he, he's he's just doing it the wrong way, right? He needs to be working with her. Like, you know, Also, she might actually be in control. You know, like he, she maybe doesn't need rescuing. Yeah, I agree with all that, but I don't think it's a bad inst. I don't think it speaks badly of Quoth that his first instinct when granted a ring of three wishes, I don't think it speaks badly of him that his first instinct is to ask for help for someone else, not himself. I think that speaks well of him. Certainly. Um, And unless I'm mistaken, I might be overthinking this, but I think they get into a fight. So uh, much later on page 489, he he floats the idea of switching uh, patrons and they get into a fight. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the narrative is unaware that this is like the wrong way to go about doing what Quoth wants to do. And the other thing I want to talk about is uh, the Antrasaur loot. Um, Antrasaur, of course, is the one who walled up Fortunato in the basement uh, when he lured him oh, there. Oh, I thought an Antrasaur was the dinosaur with the funny with the funny spikes. No, that's an Ankylosaur. I, I, I was kidding. It was, it was supposed to be. <laughs> no, I'm Jordan. I was trying to do a oh, bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You were helping me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the Antrasaur loot. It it could be uh, and perhaps is simply that uh, Quoth's father is thinking of the Antrasaur loot uh, in the way that one might think back to a, a lusty knight uh, with a fine lover uh, who you return to in, in your cups and, and think of. Uh, but it might also be a euphemism for something. A person, perhaps. Like beyond being a euphemism for a lady? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm a lady, Perhaps what I was getting at is that it might just be a euphemism for a lady and not actually that he played an Antrasaur loot. And he might just been, have been his way of like, because, you know, he clearly he likes to his father likes to uh, hide meanings in other things. I know that's a pretty deep cut. Yeah, I think I think this might be a case of a rose is just a rose. 
Could be. I think him his hands making gentle shapes in the air makes me think of the you know the cartoony like making an hourglass shape thing. <laughs> oh, you no, know, I think that is what he's doing. I think he is like saying, God, that was the most beautiful loot I'd ever seen. Look at those cans. But I think he is describing a loot. Oh. He's describing a loot like he would describe a woman, but he's not describing a woman using the metaphor of describing oh, I tune a loot. those pegs. Oh, ever so gently. <laughs> is he what would you look at the neck on that? Slender. <laughs> Slender yet firm, you know, curved in all the right places. You had to grasp it with both hands. You got to work on your fingering. You got to be gentle. <laughs> oh, funny. and the sounds it made. <laughs> Jordana, you've been uncharacteristically quiet on this episode. What is leaping out at you? Well, I don't have a whole lot for... Well, actually, Nick scooped me on like at least two of my topics, so I should have just spoken up sooner because I also wanted to talk about the loot, but um, I mean, I I didn't think he was talking about the loot the way you would talk about a lady. I just thought he was talking about the loot and I, I was actually going to yell hands for the him I'm, I'm making motion in the air. Well, you sort of beat me to the punch and I didn't want to, I didn't want to like talk over you. Anyway, my point being that as much as I think the, the, the loop being a lady is super funny. And I actually really like that read. My initial read of it was that he was like doing some like state of flow, something, something, maybe magic recognition of some form, something. It felt more magical to me than it did of like a guy talking about a loot like a lady. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that does make sense. I don't know that that is my instinct on reading it, but that could be misdirection on Rothfuss's part. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I I don't think a, I don't think Antrosaur as a place or a type of loot ever comes up again in the book. So I feel like it's a throwaway, but maybe it's a secretly not. Yeah, my instinct is that Rothfuss is just trying to like you know, do a tiny bit of world building by implying that this is kind of the same thing as like a Stradivarius violin, a famous make of loot. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that it was an equivalent to a Stradivarius. That would make sense. I am good with that read. Anything else you want to bring up on the page? I am out of notes. Well, we have a letter today. Day from Tim on Codicus. Hi, pagers. I'm finally caught up. Most of my podcast listening is in the car, and for the past year, I have been driving a lot less, until recently. I have listened to your many crackpot theories about what's up with Codicus, and I think you're overcomplicating things, but I'm sure, deep down, that's part of why it's fun to listen. Here's my take. Codicus is a legitimate arcanist. Quoth says he has a gilder, and I have no reason to doubt it. The fact that he can't tell the difference between a crocodile and an alligator means he isn't skilled in taxonomy. He is interested in and skilled at chemistry, as evidenced by the distilling. He is therefore very aware of what he is doing in dissolving lead into the mare's medicine. As Kvothe says, killing the mare would be easy. Keeping him alive but sick takes skill and care. Kvothe asks Brayden about where Codicus fits in the social hierarchy and he dodges the question. Codicus responds in, in an unexpected way when asked about the Chandrian as if he's hiding what he knows. He is interested in history and heraldry, which is why the mayor refers Quoth to him for information on the Lackless family and why Quoth hopes he knows about the Chandrian. Here are my crackpot musings, not quite enough for a theory. What if Brayden, who is involved with the Emir in some way, has leverage over Codicus because of the dynamics of his social status and has blackmailed and or bribed him into weakening the mayor through poison? 
We know Codicus isn't working alone since the mayor was sick before he arrived, and it would be suspicious if the mayor's bouts of sickness only resumed after Codicus returned from his travels. I'm afraid we won't know for sure until the Dena books come out. Also, if Mayor Alvaron has a secret or not so secret gay lover, I think it's much more likely to be Brayden than Stapes. Huh. I don't think it's more likely to be Brayden than Stapes. We have no connection for the mayor and Brayden. Yeah, that would come really out of left field for me. I want to know what evidence you have in the text to support that reading. I mean, I don't even think it's Stapes, but I really don't think it's Brayden. But my question about, like, if Brayden is the one who's responsible for poisoning the mayor using Codicus as his cat's paw, why? Qui bono? Who benefits? Why, why, why would Brayden benefit from that? Well, this has reminded me of another theory that I don't think we've brought up, but I have seen kicking around and I kind of like. Uh, there is another Lackless who is named at one point, and that would be Aculius Lackless, I believe is the, the pronunciation, who is a, uh, an elder uh, gentleman. Uh, so it could be that Brayden is perhaps uh, a relative, an uncle of Mellowin Lackless, or perhaps an uncle of Quoth. Um, or, you know, maybe he's even the parent of Mellowin Lackless. Anyway, um, that would be a neat way of combining all my theories, which I would be pleased uh, if, if true. Uh, but, uh, you know, then it's it's possible. I, I think that as far as the relationship goes, it's Stapes and the Mare. I am a um, rate. Ooh, I, <laughs> I was going to combine Rand. I was going to combine Rand and Stapes, uh, <laughs> but that, that's not a good. <laughs> oh, <shipment>. no. <laughs> Would you say that 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 uh, that Alvaron and Stapes is your OTP? I would. They are my one time password. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, that's not what it means oh what does it mean one true pairing oh that makes way more sense so if you're in a fandom that like ships different characters with other characters i would actually have to ask my partner who's much more expert on the taxonomy and nuance of fandom discourse but your otp your one true pairing is like the the pairing that is like the one that you are a big fan of the the one that you want to see end up together Mm, like korasami kind of thing which they never finished, which is really frustrating. Wait, they never. I thought they walked into the portal together as a couple in the end. I thought they, they do, very clearly... but like, I want to see their cute vacation together. I want to see their honeymoon. Like, <laughs> yeah, we don't ever see them like banging it out at the lesbian bar in in Republic City. Uh huh. Well, I feel like that's something that won't until we get the R-rated Avatar spinoff. That that won't happen. This, this is why fan fiction exists. My understanding is that they fleshed that relationship out and made it more explicit in the uh, Avatar and Korra comics. Okay, I can deal with that. Uh, and we will shill for more Nickelodeon properties on tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind.